Art of Self-Care, hosted by Nitu Bemals. Hello all, I want to thank you for listening today, and I have something really special um, for today's podcast episode, so um, I will discuss a little bit about how I came upon this topic, but I'm looking to hopefully start a new series called Tales of Self-Care Practices Gone Bad. So um, what I wanted to uh, really discuss is, so recently I had a discussion with a nursing student. So um, again, for those of you who don't know, I'm a student of physical therapy, so I, I will be graduating this coming August, and I'm currently on my second uh, clinical rotation um, in Texas. And so I have to, I had to do an in-service topic um, and in the setting that I'm at, and I decided that I wanted to do um, an in-service topic. That's just like, um, kind of like a presentation that you would do in front of the PTs or the other therapists. And so I decided, decided that I wanted to do my topic um, in regards to uh, incontinence um, in the geriatric population. And so I actually did a really short 15-minute shorty just talking about it. And I will do another episode um, in the future just discussing some um, prevention as well as ways um, for those um, who are in the geriatric population, um, prevention topic, prevention, and then also ways that you can help um, to encourage more um, continence um, if you are one who suffers from incontinence. Um, but back to um, the topic at hand. So I was talking with this nursing student and we were just having a discussion about um, incontinence, especially among the residents at the facility, and then the prevalence of um, urinary tract infections or UTIs. And so as we were talking, um, she told me a story, um, not a story, I mean, it's a true story, but about a resident who's there who um, was had to unfortunately be on a continuous Foley catheter um, due to incontinence. So for those of you who don't know what a Foley catheter is, so it's um, a tube that, um, it's a long tube, plastic tube, um, that's attached to a bag and um, it goes into your urethra. And so it's used in order to catch your urine. Um, so if you've ever gone through any type of surgery, whether it's a long-term surgery, even um, you know where you've just been under general anesthesia, um, and then usually the body will shut down, you know, the processes, the way that the body eliminates will shut down. And so they'll usually um, do a Foley catheter um, either during the surgery, especially if you're elderly, um, or they'll do a Foley catheter after the surgery um, in order to go and catch the urine so that way you're not retaining it in your body um, until your body's normal functions, you know, kind of come back, um, come back into flow again. Um, no pun intended. Um, but so unfortunately, this lady had to be on continuous um, Foley catheter because of her incontinence. And she was telling me, um, obviously, she's much older, but when she was younger, um, I guess, you know, probably more in like her 20s or when she started having her um, period, that um, she used bleach. Douche. She douched. She, <laughs> it's hard to say. She douched. Um, so, um, and I'll talk about what that practice of douching is, um, but she would use bleach in order to, um, do a vaginal douche. And so she did this, you know, fairly often that it just destroyed the lining, um, the inner lining of her bladder and the inner lining of the bladder is really sensitive tissue. And it also has the um, muscles in there, um, called detrusor muscles, and they help to, you know, contract as well as um, relax um, the bladder in order for, you know, when the bladder is full, then um, 
it contracts in order for the urine to flow out. Um, and then also it relaxes so that, um, you know, as the contents of the bladder expands, then it just um, allows it to stretch a little bit more. So, um, and this was actually a practice and I was really, really surprised. Um, I'd heard obviously of douching. I've never douched before, um, at least with a lot of over-the-counter products. I've used um, just like herbal douching, um, like for Ayurvedic purposes. Um, so I've never thought it was like bad, but now after doing a little bit of research, um, you know, kind of hesitant to want to, you know, be doing any type of vaginal douching in the future. Um, but yeah, so this conversation I had with this um, nursing student and just talking about this particular patient just had me really wondering, um, well, this was like a practice that was done years ago. Uh, actually, like, you know, yeah, it was years ago, I'd say like, you know, maybe less than a hundred years ago. And it was encouraged. Um, it was seen as, you know, a healthy practice. It was seen as, you know, self-care in quotes. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of mind boggling. So I uh, want to kind of go through, um, you know, what douching is, um, a little bit of the history of um, vaginal douching, um, some of the prevalence, because um, it's still a practice that is used um, today. And then also discuss like why that's not necessary because, you know, the vagina has the ability to um, clean itself. It's a self-cleaning organ. So if you've never heard of that term before, so we'll kind of go into all of those. Um, very soon. All right, so what is douching? Um, so douching is a practice that's used to wash out the normal balance of bacteria. So um, looking at why people douched in the past and um, they used it for various purposes. So um, they did it after their menstrual cycle and they felt that it was a way for them to just kind of clean out um, any extra stuff that was there in the um, vagina. Um, it was also used as a practice like right after sexual intercourse. Um, and there was the thought behind douching that um, doing it after sexual intercourse and um, would help to kind of clear out or prevent um, sexual transmitted infections. Um, so that was done, you know, um, after sexual intercourse. Um, there were also, um, it was also thought to be used as a contraceptive tool as well. Um, thinking that like just still help to clear out the sperm, um, you know, I guess without them really, at least in the past, not really having a clear understanding of, you know, just what the mechanism of, you know, ejaculation and where it goes. But yeah, obviously there's going to be a, a little bit of remnant of sperm um, in the vagina. So it was also used as a contraceptive tool. Um, so it was believed to be both a normal as well as an expected part of feminine hygiene. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it just puts women at risk of developing infections. And so um, it's kind of crazy, you know, um, looking back and actually, you know, when a lot of um, this started, you know, was in the 19th century. So going into the history. So uh, actually, douching started probably around the 19th century and it was marked, marketed as well as popularized as an effective means of birth control um, for women. And so um, in the 1800s, 
um, there was various um, products that were used. So it could be like a home remedy. Um, I don't say a home remedy, but like um, a homemade um, douche that was made um, by women. Um, and it consisted of various um, ingredients. So it could have just been plain water, could have been water and soap, um, could have consisted of um, water with salt, um, a vinegar-based solution, could have consisted of liquid chloride, which is bleach, um, zinc sulfite, aluminum potassium sulfite. So, I mean, especially those last two, you know, not being um, a whiz in chemistry, um, those sound fairly I don't want to say toxic, but I would say maybe even caustic, especially to such, um, you know, sensitive, um, porous tissue because the vagina is actually very porous. And so in the 1930s and then into the 40s, um, Lysol was, um, came into being and was being marketed as a huge, you know, disinfectant. And then it was being marketed also to women to be able to use um, as a douche, you know, both for contraception purposes as well as a vaginal cleanser. So just as a sidebar, like if you've ever used Lysol, um, you know, I don't use those cleaning products anymore. Um, but in the past, you know, when I used to and living with my parents and, you know, we had Lysol underneath um, our kitchen sink and it's such a strong, strong smell, um, pretty powerful cleanser. And to think that, you know, that that would, that that was considered okay, you know, to put um, in your vagina, I find really mind boggling. And, um, you know, just looking at some of the research, when I was um, just researching, looking up some of this information, like Lysol was actually pretty, it was much more toxic, more powerful um, of a solution than it is currently right now. So, I mean, if women today were to put Lysol in um, their vagina, obviously would cause like extreme damage but to think like back in the 1930s 40s and women were doing this and the solution of Lysol was even more powerful um is pretty mind-boggling and yes I could definitely see how it could cause like so much damage in the um in the bladder to cause it to not function anymore or even just lead to um yeah, just being a site um, for, you know, clearing out all the natural flora, all the natural bacteria that's there and encouraging infection. And so it's interesting that that's actually what happened. That's what it led to. Um, so kind of going back to the history, a lot of um, ads were used um, during that time in order to scare women um, into thinking that their marriages would fall apart. And so if you've ever, um, I'll probably try to um, include a picture somewhere on the podcast and I'll definitely, um, you know, include it somewhere when I'm um, just, you know, discussing um, this podcast episode. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting that um, some of the ads and, you know, just very 1940s, 1950s, you know, the perfect housewife um, and then her husband, you know, is walking away or leaving and then she's left crying on the couch because um, her husband is not staying the night. And, you know, and then the question, you know, uh, in the ad, you know, begs to begs the question as to whether, you know, the husband doesn't stay in the night because the fact that, you know, she might be unclean um, or because she smells bad. And that's what it's kind of um, in, it's kind of insinuating is that um, women who don't use these type of products or douche you know, are unclean or they smell bad or they're going to be unattractive to their husbands when actually like, 
having a vaginal odor, you know, is a normal thing, as long as it's not um, associated with an infection. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so during that time, um, you know, feminine hygiene wasn't really talked about. So I'd say, you know, sex was something that was talked about, at least amongst women, you know, definitely not so much, you know, in media or um, or just or seen, you know, as a positive thing and something that's okay and that's something that's done regularly, definitely wasn't seen um, in the media. And I think even highlighted in a positive way, you know, especially it's probably targeted more towards men and not towards women. Um, but feminine hygiene was definitely very taboo and wasn't talked about, um, you know, in a very positive way, especially amongst women. And so unfortunately, then the marketing gurus back then saw that as an opportunity in order to, you know, sway women you know, towards the side, like, you know, feminine hygiene, you know, you need to be doing more because you're not doing enough and you smell bad and you're unclean and no one's going to want to marry you or your husband's not going to want to stay with you if you don't do these, um, these douches. So, which is really, really unfortunate. And it was e really easy to create a lot of shame and a lot of stigma, um, around natural vaginal odor and giving the idea that, you know, they just don't smell clean and, that's really uh, sad to think that these women um, felt that they needed to go and do this in order to, you know, get married or to attract, you know, a possible, you know, suitor. So um, next, I'm going to just talk a little bit about, actually, let's, yeah, talk a little bit about, um, we talked about douching. So why is douching bad? Right, so why is douching <laughs> bad. So um, it definitely increases the risk of infections, increases the risk of um, contracting HIV, chlamydia, um, public inflammatory disease, um, and at least on the gynecological aspect. And then um, obstetrically, um, it increases your likelihood of um, having preterm labor, especially if you're pregnant. Um, it causes um, a lot of um, women who then give birth of low birth um, weight in infants, um, reduce fertility, and then also um, ectopic pregnancies as well. And so, again, you know, I talked about this in the history and, um, you know, the types of different douches that are used and why this is so bad. And also bacterial vaginosis, I think that's a really big one, BV, if you've ever heard of that. And that's just, you know, um, bacterial infection. So again, you know, the, the purpose of what they thought, you know, or what they continue to think that vaginal douching is, is that it's meant to, you know, clear all of the supposedly bad bacteria out of the vagina and then help to just to make it a clean space. But the vagina actually has a bunch of, you know, good bacteria. And I think, you know, everyone's talking about microbiomes and about, you know, bacteria in your gut. And so I think there's now the discussion and people are having a better understanding, like, you know, actually, you know, using disinfectants and using, um, you know, these hand sanitizers are actually, you know, not a great thing for you. Actually, you know, our bodies have a natural bacteria um, on the outside of our body. We have it on the inside of our body in our gut. We definitely have it in um, our vaginas as well, too. And um, we have that natural flora and that's important. That's what helps to keep a balance um, in our bodies. And, 
you know, when we clear that out by using really bad products, um, then that just encourages um, then bad bacteria um, to stay um, or just makes it like a perfect environment for bad bacteria to come in there. And then actually, you know, the prevalence of having bacterial vaginosis is pretty high. I'm going to see if I can um, try to find, um, I thought I had a percentage, but I don't. Um, but yeah, bacterial vaginosis is definitely, um, you know, a big, uh, big indicator um, for women who use do who douche. And they've actually seen that women who do who douche, who yeah, it's such a weird way to how to say it, that women who um, use vaginal douches, um, they use it in order to go and get rid of that fishy odor. And then they continuously use it and then not even realizing that they probably contracted an infection, um, i.e. bacterial vaginosis, because if you do have it, it produces a fishy odor. And so it's just kind of like, um, you know, they're continuing to, you know, use the, the douche in order to get rid of the fishy odor, maybe goes away for a little bit, but then the bacteria, that bad bacteria, the bacterial vaginosis is still there. And then they're never really getting rid of um, that infection. So don't really see why there uh, would be such um, a huge need to actually use it when it's actually a pretty detriment um, to the body. And then talking about um, the vagina as being, you know, a pretty porous tissue. So um, the fact that anything that the vagina comes in contact with, you know, it's going to then permeate into the tissues and then make its way into, um, into our system. And so um, if you've have you know heard about toxic shock syndrome um or about using using other products you know such as tampons you know and especially tampons that are not organic um and so a lot of tampons especially a lot of the commercial tampons um you know they bleach um the cotton and so yes not only are you getting um you know the the blood is being sucked up through the tampon but then you also are taking in through your pores tissue bleach. And so in kind of, you know, a really weird way, you are taking in some of that liquid chloride, some of those other, you know, synthetic, um, unnatural um, chemicals or products that are also going into that vaginal tissue, and that's going to have, you know, a huge impact. So, you know, anything that you're putting in your body, obviously, you know, whether it's food, whether it's medicine, it's going to have an impact. It's the same thing. You know, anything that you're putting in your vagina is going to have an, you know, can have a positive or negative impact depending on what it is that you're putting in there. So um, I want to talk next about the prevalence. So what is the prevalence um, of women who are using um, douching? So I want to talk more about present time because um, the history is history is the past and we learn from the past, um, but obviously it's having a big impact now on the present. And so I looked at a couple of studies. There was actually um, one study, I think that was back in 2009. And so um, it was in the Journal of um, Sexual Medicine in 2009. And so they talked about... Um, you know, who are these women who are using it? And they've actually found that it was a lot of adolescents. And so, you know, that's obviously between, you know, they're no longer teens in the early teens and before they really kind of hit adulthood. So I would say, you know, between like 16 to 19 years old. And then a lot of adolescents were the ones who were using these products um, because 
as they got older, um, they were starting to pay more attention to their genital hygiene and also to their genital appearance. And so obviously a lot of those women are probably also starting to be more sexually active. And for a lot of these women, they're getting these messages, you know, not so much just from the media, um, but also from their moms, you know, from their family, um, from older um, women in their lives. So whether, you know, it's their aunts um, or, you know, peers, you know, it could be their cousins. So a lot of it is actually, you know, from family and, um, you know, from people who they're close with and found that really surprising just because their moms did it. So, you know, then I don't want to say that they're expected, but then it's encouraged because obviously you're going to listen to what your mom says, you know, or you're going to listen to what your family says more so than the media. Media definitely has a big part to play. But then if you're hearing it from both sides, then you're thinking like, oh yeah, this is something that is important for my feminine hygiene. This is something that's important. I should be doing it, right? And so, um, it was seen that um, it's actually um, in seen more so among African American women, among um, Latin women as well, not so much white women who were using these products and also um, in the low income areas. And I don't know, I mean, um, then this comes to also like just the bias, you know, and the um, the racial disparity that's seen, you know, amongst research, because a lot of the research articles that I found, one was in 2009, another one was in 2013, um, another one I think was in 2003, where um, a lot of the research was done in, you know, low-income communities, like I think one was in Michigan, um, another one was in another area, and so, yeah, in those low-income areas, yes, you are going to find probably more of a prevalence of African-American and um, other ethnicities who um, live um, in lower-income areas. And there was not a study that was done, like, in a rich white neighborhood. So there's that, you know, at least with regards to how research is conducted. And don't want to get into um, that. But I just found that interesting that this, those studies were just done in those areas. So who's to say that you know, douche, vaginal douching, you know, is just something that's seen in um, women of color, you know, or that is done, you know, amongst women of color. Um, so, but there it is. I mean, at least with regards to what the research is showing. And um, yeah, so I found that really interesting. And then also what they're finding is that the rates of um, African-American women, African-American women who use vaginal douching, it's about two to three times um, more prevalent among them than white women, and that they are also the same who tend to have the preterm birth rates um, that are much higher um, than also having the issues with regards to low infant birth weights. And, you know, so it's really interesting to seeing whether there is, you know, some type of correlation. If it is true, you know, it, it would be nice to kind of see whether, um, you know, vaginal douching is a practice that's still being used among white women or not, and whether, you know, this particular practice is having also some impact in addition to lots of other factors that I know um, is starting to come out with regards to um, the women of color, especially um, African-American women who are um, having higher maternal um, mortality rates. Um, when they are giving birth and, you know, um, especially postpartum. So there's definitely another um, issue there in itself. Another study that um, was seen is that adolescent African-American females are at a higher risk of um, contracting sexually transmitted infections more frequently who use feminine hygiene products. 
Um, so I think that, oh yeah. And another, which I found um, really interesting was that, um, I am kind of blanking on the name and nor do I want to be calling any company out, um, about two, two particular companies who, um, you know, sell these type of feminine hygiene products were actually tart. Um, there was a backlash because they specifically targeted, um, African-American as well as Latina women, um, in using these products. So, there's that. So who knows whether these, um, these big corporations, you know, are actually looking at the research and seeing like, oh, you know, these are the women who are still using it. Let's go and target them and make sure that they still continue to use our products. So I'm finding that um, disheartening that that's the case. So I um, kind of want to come full circle and then talk about um, the vagina and why the self-cleaning organ and um, how to turn something that was seen as uh, a self-care practice into a true self-care practice. And so the vagina is a self-cleaning organ. So if you didn't know that. That you're having your menstrual cycle that is one way of i mean other than just clearing the lining that um is present um lining the uterus but it's also another way you know because obviously all that menstrual blood has to go down through the vagina in a way that's another kind of cleansing aspect because gravity is working and it's helping to clear out the uterus and in a way it's also clearing out the vagina as well too um and so you know, I didn't even really know this and just going to, you know, share um, a personal story because um, at least for myself, um, from the time that um, probably that I, you know, started becoming sexually active, um, have had my own histories um, and uh, issues with having, um, you know, urinary tract infections and having um, yeast infections and having bacterial infections and not having a really, not having a really true understanding of what was going on or why that was happening. And, um, you know, at least with, you know, the UTIs, um, you know, I definitely had a period where I was like constantly having them and then, you know, taking antibiotics to go and clear them. And then, um, you know, for, uh, I would say like almost like a two to three year period, I was going back and forth between, you know, having yeast infection, you know, taking um, over-the-counter antifungal cream in order to um, get rid of it, you know, to the point that, you know, nothing was working. I was just, like trying my own home remedies and just doing like tampon, you know, um, or yogurt tampon, you know, uh, application or doing, uh, or then, and then kind of going from yeast infection to having bacterial infection. And yes, you know, where I had that fishy odor and not really understanding, like, why is this happening to me? Like, I'm a fairly, you know, clean person and, you know, um, I'm only having sex with one person, you know, why is this happening? And it was, it was especially when I was in a monogamous relationship and not having a pure or true understanding of, um, you know, why this was happening to me. And, you know, I think after it was, yeah, I would say it was really, truly after having, um, miscarriage that I suffered, um, you know, after I was married and, um, got pregnant, 
and then suffered the miscarriage that I really started to read up and study and have a better understanding of my sexual organs and what they do and their function and their purpose and why things are like this and why things are like that. And I think the other thing that I realized is just about vaginal discharge. And I think that that's something that is not talked about at all, you know, especially when we talk about or talk to, you know, um, teens, those who are about to start their period, you know, even before then and have them understand like, okay, why do you have vaginal discharge, normal vaginal discharge, and that it's a normal thing to have, you know, a little bit of mucus come out, you know, whether it's like right before your cycle starts, um, you know, whether it's around the time that you're ovulating and have them really understand why that's happening. Because um, I feel like I never got that discussion. And, you know, when I did have it, I thought that was gross and not normal. And then when I had an excess of it because of infection, I thought that was even, wow, that's even more gross and not understanding why this was happening to me. So, um, yeah, it's kind of mind boggling that that is um, still the case for a lot of women. Um, but to come back to, um, you know, why it's a self-cleaning organ. So, you know, as I mentioned um, earlier, that it's a pretty porous, um, it's a pretty porous environment. Um, so the vagina is lined with a mucous membrane. And so it's used in order to help to prevent infection. So obviously it's, you know, kind of the same thing if you think in like your sinuses, you know, there's mucus there and there's a lining of mucus so that anytime um, you're in an environment where there's like a lot of pollen or dust, then, you know, that comes into your nose. The nose has a really great way of like filtering that stuff out and then you sneeze or you blow your nose. Um, and that mucus, you know, the mucus is meant to be there, obviously a healthy amount of it, not, you know, too much, not too little, um, but it's meant to be there in order to help to prevent us breathing in, you know, certain partic particles of dust or particles of whatever it is that we're breathing in. So it doesn't then make our way into our lungs. And so, you know, if you want to kind of compare it, it's the same thing with the vagina um, that we have that mucus layer um, inside the vagina and that it's meant to help prevent infection. So, you know, whether, you know, from our partner or from something that we might come into contact with, um, that it's meant to, you know, when we have that discharge, you know, it's the body's way of just kind of pulling that stuff out. And obviously that's when we have our, you know, our good vaginal floor, a good healthy balance of our good bacteria in there. Um, so it's meant, so that vaginal flora, you know, it's in there, it's a mix of good bacteria and it's meant to go and keep our vagina healthy. And so all women have some different forms of mucus. I wouldn't say like we all have mucus in there, but, um, it could vary in appearance and also in volume. And so that, um, you know, probably for a later date, but, you know, it's going to change in consistency over the course of our cycle. And if you don't have an understanding of your cycle, then, you know, that's something that you want to have a better understanding. I'm not going to go into it today, but there will be, you know, times or periods during your cycle where 
you know, um, the discharge that comes out is going to be probably a little bit more creamy. Um, it's going to be a little bit more tacky. And then other times where it'll be really mucusy and, you know, kind of, I'm going to say slimy, but it'll be like kind of almost like mucus, like what comes out of your nose. And all of that is just our body's way of saying, okay, we're ready to um, procreate. You know, we're ready to have a baby. Um, or it could be just a signal, okay, that um, you know, we're ready to have our period, have our menstrual cycle, um, or, you know, have our menses. Um, and all of it can change. And it's normal for it to change. So it can be, you know, whether based on, again, like I said, our cycle, um, our stage in our cycle can be based on, you know, whether you've had sex or not. So um, something that most people might notice is like, especially after sex, you might have a little bit more discharge than usual, or you might have a little bit of a muskier odor than you're used to. Um, exercise. So, you know, especially if you're exercising a lot, um, that can have an impact Um if you're sweating a lot and then you're not, you know, showering or changing your underwear afterwards and you're just kind of letting, you know, that sweat and that moisture kind of sit in that area, that's, you know, usually also like kind of like a, a bad recipe for, you know, contracting um, UTIs. And that can also, you know, because everything is so close, that can have definitely an impact, you know, on, um, you know, the smell or discharge in your vagina and also your diet. So, as I mentioned, you know, what goes inside your body is definitely going to have an impact, you know, on the other systems in your body, definitely on your gut. It's going to have an impact on your vagina as well, too. So, um, you know, I think if you've never really thought about, um, you know, what's, you know, kind of coming out of your vagina or you're wondering like, wow, that's a different smell and something that you're not used to, you know, track it, write it down, um, have a better sense of, you know, what is kind of going on with your body. And I, I think for me, that was, you know, one of the unfortunate blessings that I received after my miscarriage was I just became so much more knowledgeable about my body. And it's unfortunate that it had to come with a tragedy, but like I really had a better understanding of, you know, okay, why am I discharging, you know, um, noticing the difference in my discharges, you know, from when I was ovulating and then when I wasn't, and then also being okay with it, like, okay, this is my odor, you know, um, I don't need to get rid of the odor. Um, and knowing that this was an, an having a vaginal odor is okay and it's normal as long as it's not associated with an infection and obviously if it's something um that where it smells fishy or where um you're getting heavier discharge than normal that and especially you know you want to keep track of what is your normal because it's going to be different for every female it's not going to be the same compared to your mom or compared to your friend so it's really just kind of being in touch and being more aware of what's going on in your body um, then obviously, you know, when those are abnormal, then that's when you should definitely reach out to your, you know, OBGYN or your primary care physician and let them know. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, I would say that that is a self-care practice is just building that awareness. Um, I don't see using vaginal douching as a self-care practice, um, especially if you're doing it several times a year in order for you to stay fresh and clean down there. Um, you know, if you've seen any of like those Summer's Eve um, commercials or you can look at the old commercials from the 80s or even, you know, just do a search for um, vaginal douching um, ads that were used anywhere from there's I'll have to probably put a link to the site. 
but there's some really great examples of ads from, you know, the 40s, 50s, like even into the 70s um, of um, these type of vaginal douching products. And it's really amazing at how the media does such a great job of encouraging and shaming women into using um, these products in order for them to feel that they're more sexy and more woman-like um, by using them and they're and letting them know that their vaginal odor is not normal. So that's my piece on um, self-care practices gone. Um, so I hope you have some pretty good takeaways and um, just learn a little bit more. Um, I really like history. I was a history major in college. So for me, it was really um, cool just to kind of go back and learn a little bit about um, how this practice came to be and why it is, you know, still very much prevalent um, in today's society. And then also, you know, uh, as I as I see, like, you know, with everything with regards to history that, you know, you want to learn from your past in order for it to um you know, have some impact on your presence and hoping that at least learning about, um, you know, douching and, you know, not just that it, you know, can have an impact and increase your chances of infection, but, you know, it has also shown that it might also have a tie into a lot of um, cancers, you know, vaginal cancers, you know, in that area. And that's not something that, um, was probably as prevalent, you know, back in the day and probably more so now. So, um, yeah, let's, if we want to self-care to be a little bit more accessible, let's also think about, you know, what are, I'm going to say easy tools, because definitely being more aware, being more mindful, um, educating yourself is definitely not the easiest. It's easiest to just like spend whatever the five ten dollars at the um, drugstore and then just buying the the douche and then just using that um but for the long-term care of your health and for your body i think that this is a much more accessible a much more preventative a much more um loving way in learning about your body and um providing self-care for um you and your vagina Thank you for listening to The Masterful Art of Self-Care. Um, in order to listen to um, more really interesting um, interviews. And episodes where I discuss um, self-care um, for the neglected, underused, misused, um, under discussed, you know, parts of our body, definitely, um, you know, tune in for more episodes and then let me know what you want to listen to or what you want to hear more about. Um, so you can also follow along on by signing up, subscribing to my newsletter. So it comes out um, twice a month and I just share some of the highlights of um, podcast episodes that I have um, released. And then also you can hear more about um, self-care um, practices, um, topics on self-care um, via other podcasts or articles that I share with you. Um, so I find that really interesting. It's great to share the wealth. 
So um, definitely you can go on to themasterfulartistselfcare.com to sign up for our newsletter. And if you have any questions, comments, if you want to um, share um, anything that you found interesting or just kind of get in contact with me, you can do that um, via email at tia, T-I-A, at themasterfulartistselfcare.com. And I hope that you will like, review, and rate this episode. So, and also share it with others who you think might find this interesting. So you can do all of that on any podcast um, uh, podcast uh, way that you listen to podcasts. So whether that's via iTunes, Google, um, Google Play, Stitcher, um, Anchor, all of those. Um, definitely rate, review, like, uh, and share. So thank you again, and talk to you soon.